Welcome to Epicenter Bitcoin. We're at episode 18. Today is May 4th, 2014. Uh, my name is Brian Fabian Crane. I'm a Bitcoin entrepreneur in Berlin and the founder of Bitcoin Startups Berlin Group. And this is the second time in the history of this podcast that we're recording a kind of live in person, not remotely. And I'm here with Meinhard Ben. I know, do you want to introduce yourself? Okay, sure, yeah. So um, I'm an internet developer since, I can think, since I'm 16 years old, which is now 20 years old, so you do the math. And uh, recently I did more and more projects with uh, Bitcoin, so I participated in a few hackathons and yeah, just uh, some, some small hacks to do with Bitcoin. And I now joined Bitcoin Brothers here in Berlin, and I'm the head of software development there. Cool. So um, I should also add that Sebastian, uh, my usual co-host, He has his mother visiting, so unfortunately he's not able to be with us today, so it's just the two of us. And uh, I really look forward to our topics today, and of course we'll also dive into uh, the Bitcoin Brothers thing, which is a very interesting project uh, later in the show. So and there's been a lot of news actually this week, and I think some super interesting news that I look forward to diving in. The, the first one is kind of a small story, but uh, it's definitely interesting to cover so a lot of you probably will have heard about this, that uh, in MIT, the MIT Bitcoin Club has raised uh, $500,000 and they're going to do this experiment where they're going to give every MIT undergrad uh, this fall $100 in Bitcoin. And of course, that's interesting because I guess uh, there will be the highest density of Bitcoin users in the world in MIT uh, this fall, which I think is going to be fascinating. What's what's your uh, what's your view on this project? Uh, I think it's great. Definitely, it's like a, a huge opportunity, and also like there, a lot of software has been born, and a lot of innovation comes from exactly there. And to just inject uh, this this amount of Bitcoin there is, is pretty pretty nice hack actually. And uh, I'm glad that it's done kind of uh, bottom up. It's like a, it's just like a, the club of the university. It's not like. Uh, the dean or like the, the official uh, management of the university that does this. It's just really kind of like, you know, like a prank in a way. Um, probably without... Expensive prank. <laughs> well, <laughs> probably without the authorization. I'm not quite sure about the exact uh, story, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's great, obviously. Well, I don't think they need authorization for something like this, right? But yeah, no, I totally agree. I think it's... It would be super, extremely interesting to see what comes out of that. And I think that's... Uh, a main thing they've pointed out uh, is that there, or I think I read it on Fred Wilson's blog, he was mentioning that, but there's this big divide between, you know, you learn about Bitcoin, read about Bitcoin abstractly, and then you own some Bitcoin, you actually have a wallet, and there's a big gap there, and it really changes something. Yeah, you actually feel a debt that you should do something with it. You, you know, you feel obliged. There's kind of this pressure, which is a nice pressure. You, I mean, you have some money to spend, so yeah, do yeah. something with it. So yeah. you, you definitely will look into it, I think. And it, it changes it from this abstract thing to something, you know, very concrete and immediate. Yeah. And yeah, it, it will be powerful. And of course, it will be also very interesting to see if they manage to sign up a lot of merchants. I think that's the, the plan. And of course, there's now a strong argument for merchants there, where, you know, it's, it's something that you know, every undergrad will be able to, to use. And I think they also talked about having some easy way to top up. So if people spend it, then I don't know if they'll set up an ATM or something like that. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm extremely excited. This sure, yeah, out of that. that's great. And the next project uh, I want to talk about, which is 
has been kind of in the waiting for a while is Dark Wallet. And they've come out with their alpha version this week. And I've kind of looked at it, I tried it out a bit. And it's, I think it's extremely interesting. They have a few really novel features. And uh, those are stealth addresses, a coin join. They also have this thing called pockets, which I don't quite understand what it is. I think it's a, it's a, a more UI focused thing that they're doing. Um, they're using HD wallets, which I guess a lot of wallets are using today, but for being a browser extension wallet, I don't know if any one of those, the other ones use it. And uh, they also have multi-sig. So, um, I don't know, Meinhardt, have you been following this project? Uh, only just what was, what was in the news uh, in the recent days. Um, but I, yeah, I know some of the players involved, and it's definitely an interesting constellation of people. I mean, it's like it's squatters, like it's like real hackers, like real kind of uh, uh, against the mainstream, not against the mainstream, but um, yeah, very uh, outspoken people in terms of anarchy and like uh, regulation and deregulation, actually. So uh, to, it's nice to see a big project done by these people and yeah, it will definitely uh, create some disturbance, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I, I guess there are a few things about this. I think one from the technology standpoint, it's just interesting software. You know, it's very novel what they're doing. Yeah. And uh, I'm really, also even UI wise, I think it's, have you tried it out? Uh, I have to admit, I haven't. So, uh, so it's it's nice. I'm, I'm waiting I think for the final version. I think it's really it looks uh, it looks really nice, and uh, so I, I'm going to sh- show you briefly. So you know this it's really well it looks really well designed, um, and of course so let's let's briefly talk about these features because I think there are two two core features here when it comes to uh, their goal and their goal of course is privacy. So. Um, the, those features are CoinJoin and the self-address thing. Now, CoinJoin works like this. With CoinJoin, um, you ba- it's a protocol on how to uh, combine inputs from different users who you know want to make a payment around the same time into one transaction, and then that transaction will have the output for both people. So to give an example, let's say Meinhard wants to buy drugs online obviously yes. that's what i do <laughs> obviously uh, whereas i want to you know buy a tv on overstock or something like that <laughs> and now if you both use dark wallet then and let's say they, they cost the same amount and um we both use dark wallet then both our inputs would be put into one transactions and there would be two outputs now even if let's say the nsa knows that one address is associated with a drug dealer and one with overstock, uh, they won't know anymore whether I bought the drugs or he bought the drugs. And now, of course, if you multiply that and you have this going on a lot, it makes uh, blockchain analysis and tracing money flows uh, extremely difficult or much, much more difficult than they are today. Right, but that's, that's I think, one of the points, one of the criticism. I mean, it's, it makes it difficult, but not impossible. I mean, there's some uh, still yeah. like a... Uh, a certain chance that this can be traced or at least like uh, summarized or with data mining and 
kind of uh, overlaying other data, it can probably be traced, like IP data or so on. But it's definitely a good step in the, in the right direction. And to have this in the client itself is also amazing. I mean, these uh, things exist as, uh, as external services. Blockchain has a coin joint service. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but to have it now, and I think it should be free, right? Then yeah, yeah, it's free. Yeah, yeah totally. It's uh, great. So what you're also going to do with CoinJoin is that it kind of runs in the background. Mm -hmm. So when you're not using your wallet, then it will still be kind of shuffling money around. Uh, you're certainly right. There's, it's not a perfect thing. So for example, I, I did it actually. You know, I took some uh, money from Multibit. I sent it to the dark wallet thing and then I sent it back in, in two different payments. Mm -hmm. And now my original address was still associated in the end, you know, mm -hmm. uh, so that link was still there, but it was also linked to a bunch of other people now. Yeah, that's what I mean. And uh, that just makes it uh, confusing. Do you use testnet or real bitcoins? I use real bitcoins. Oh, wow. Okay. But I use like, you know, <laughs> yeah, you... one milli bitcoin or okay, something. Right. Well, so it, still, I mean, if it had been lost, it would not, it would not have been... Okay. Uh, yeah, just because they strongly advise against using real bitcoins, but yeah, sure. I mean, it For all test. depends on the amount, right? Sure. If you lose a small amount, then... Yeah. I wouldn't want to put in, yeah, a substantial amount. <laughs> and then the other thing is stealth addresses. Did you understand stealth addresses? Uh, not fully, I have to admit. Um, but uh, it's another step in the same direction of like having anonymous payments, I assume. So. Uh, yeah. I, I've talked to a bunch of people and nobody's been able to explain stuff addresses mm -hmm. properly. And I've read about it. I've read the conversation and I, I sort of understand it, but not, like, t not fully. Okay. I think the basic idea is that you have... Um, this stealth address, and then I, you know, I give you my stealth address, mine heart, and you can use that to generate an address to pay me, and then mm -hmm. I can I can uh, retrieve funds from that address, okay. but somehow it's not going to be on blockchain or info, for example. Hmm. Um, so uh, I'm 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 honestly not quite clear on that point and how that's going to affect uh, privacy. But let's talk about. Uh, do you think this is a good idea? Uh, stealth addresses, or? or in general, like the dark wallet thing? Yeah, as I said in the beginning. I mean, oh, okay. I didn't say it's a good or a bad thing. Um, um, it it might uh, push the uh, Bitcoin ecosystem a bit more into the anarchism corner, which yeah. personally I think is a good thing. But in terms of um, yeah, economy and how the the rest of the economy connects to it, it can be problematic, I think, and it can also be easily targeted as uh, yeah another uh, free way for money laundry or like uh, you know all this uh, yeah. uh, anonymous spendings that you don't want want to have public. So, I mean, Cody Wilson. So one of the guys, there's two guys, right, Amir Taki and Cody Wilson, who are kind of the the proponents or the the main guys on this. And uh, Amir Taki, I think, is very well known Bitcoin developer. Uh, Cody Wilson is mostly well known for his 3D printed gun. Mm -hmm. So he, he developed this gun you can print on your own 3D printer and he sort of open source it, gave it out in the world. Uh, I'm not super excited about that project, I must say. <laughs> well, they say like um, freedom is dangerous. So that's kind of, yeah. the, you know, like, so be careful with it. So I kind of like that statement. But yeah, I mean, it will not make it easier in terms of uh, mainstream adoption, I think. I mean, Cody Wilson, even he, he explicitly said that Dark Wallet is, is a money laundering software. <laughs> so now, um, I, I mean, I, I feel kind of two things on this, right? So 
I'm, I think privacy is very important. And I think uh, Bitcoin obviously hasn't solved this. And this may solve it to some extent. This may help a lot. And if we think of the future, one way to attack Bitcoin, I think, would be, of course, through if there's a lack of anonymity, you know, if it really is very transparent, you know, for example, people could figure out your salary, you know, this can be all this kind of uh, mining of the blockchain data that's used for all kinds of purposes. I think that could be a threat for Bitcoin. Mm. So I think in that sense, um, this could be very valuable and actually strengthen Bitcoin. Hmm. Okay. But, and also, and one, one important thing, right? So we had uh, last year this idea of coin validation. So the idea that, do you remember that? I know. For, for a short time, like everybody was talking about it. And then after, uh, after two weeks, it was gone again. Like proof of stake? No, no. So these were some guys in New York. And they had this idea. They, they, they announced a startup. I don't know if they're actually working on anything. But as a concept, the idea was that you would have a service where you can link your real identity to Bitcoin addresses. Mm, okay. So that then, for example, uh, let's say Walmart starts accepting Bitcoin payments. They say, we're only going to accept payments if you've linked it to your identity and you can do it through the service. It's not this one name, is it? That's something else? No, ch check out Coin Validation. Okay. I don't know if they, I don't know if they actually do anything, etc. But as a concept, it's there. Mm -hmm. And uh, the idea was... Uh, the idea was, of course, to, you know, be more compliant mm -hmm. and to sort of, you know, th the way they looked at it was, you know, Bitcoin is this great piece of software, but it has this problem. It can be used for nefarious things. You know, let's solve this. So, you know, we... Well, but on that, I mean, so so is like cash, you know, cash can be useful for like all good purposes and it can also be used for, for very bad purposes and it is used a lot. I mean... Like dollar euros are the, the biggest uh, tools for arms trade and, and drugs trade. You know? Sure. So, uh, that's not really a valid argument, argument for me against a, a currency or like a payment method. Yeah, no. I know. I, I agree with you. I think my, the worry there that some people had, and, and I share that, was like, let's say they were successful with that. Then you might have an issue that a Bitcoin is no longer a Bitcoin because if it had been associated with certain things. Maybe you couldn't use it to pay at some places. So you might have this, mm, okay. the fungibility of Bitcoin, you know, like now you don't care, you get a Bitcoin, there's a Bitcoin. It's like banknotes, 50 euros is 50 euros. You don't mm. care where it came from. What, but in if something like this was successful, maybe that's not the case anymore. And that will make it much more complicated. So you see the kind of network neutrality endangered by this. So people could filter or like run it through a kind of a ranking. How, how clean is this Bitcoin? And then they would reject it or not. Or oh, maybe there would be segregation, you know, like some, some Bitcoins you could use and then some associated. Mm. I, I don't know. But if you had something like CoinJoin, mm. that's not going to work because every Bitcoin is going to be, yeah. uh, going to be tainted in a sense. Um, but I, I should ask, I, I, I saw this, um, on the two bit idiot. Some people know him. He has a, a blog and uh, sometimes I check it out. So he, he was writing something interesting because, because for me, when I first read about this and I've been thinking about it, like this kind of is the first thing that comes to mind. It's like, this could be a, 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 sol a really soft uh, privacy issue and it could really help make Bitcoin more fungible. So fungible as in one Bitcoin is one Bitcoin. 
It doesn't matter where it came from. Mm, okay. But then what he was saying, so let's say this is going to be successful and Bitcoin really is going to become the currency of choice. You know, they're not another set growth and maybe much bigger mm-hmm. for all kinds of things. That could be a huge issue for Bitcoin. Well, I don't know. I didn't fully agree, but uh, well, because yeah. well, those are the guys are working on something else too, right? Like dark market. Yeah, you heard about that? No, tell me more. So dark market is essentially Silk Road or mm-hmm. something like Silk Road, but decentralized. Okay. So the idea is that you know uh, Silk Road still had centralized servers, etc. Um, dark market won't. Mm-hmm. And then you could use it to sell your cupcakes or machine guns or you know whatever. Mm-hmm. And I think with reputation and things like that too. Um, now let's say that became really big. You may have this problem of association. You know, then maybe when Amazon, when it comes time that Bitcoin becomes bigger, and Amazon is like, do we accept Bitcoin? They're going to be like, well, it does have this major use for. Illegal purposes, maybe not. Maybe we don't want that. Well, they already kind of stated that they won't accept Bitcoin in the near future and they're looking into alternatives. So, uh, but, I yeah, mean, but, but then if Bitcoin does become successful, you know, two years down the line. Yeah. That's basically also what they said. So we're kind of waiting. It's too early. Yeah, like yeah. It's, uh, yeah, it's not time yet for us. Um, what I see here, it it's, has big disruptive potential. Like uh, these uh, new extensions that really go against... Uh, like joining the, the current economies because that's what they do. I mean, they, they just really try to build uh, now a parallel, uh, like complete new system, like in, on the on the green field. And whereas other people or other projects are trying to actively link like uh, fiat currency and Bitcoin and kind of have to deal with all the, um, yeah, I don't know, the downsides of that, like which is regulation or, you know, uh, the interfaces, uh, you have to interface with banks. I mean, that's the biggest problem in China now that, They, they cannot really trade because they have to just interface with banks and the banks are like state controlled or at least controlled by small entities. And so in that sense, uh, to decentralize further uh, all the marketplaces and kind of keep it that way and kind of fight this uh, regulation might actually be uh, a key to more innovation, as you say, and also more security. Yeah, but the issue is then going to be what will be the consequences for the people who are trying to establish businesses that, you know, interface with, you know, for example, if you talk about something like Coinbase, I think it's a great service, you know, very valuable. Mm-hmm. And you can like directly buy, you know, link your bank account directly with Bitcoins. But they need, of course, a banking partner, et cetera, et cetera. So if things like, you know, if, of course, we're not there yet, but let's say it did happen and this becomes a big thing. Like a Silk Road, a future Silk Road that's much, much bigger and in Bitcoin becomes actually the currency of choice for all those things. Tax evasion, um, you know, weapons trade, all those things. The question is whether it will undermine all those things. The question is what, sorry? Whether it would undermine all the startups doing other things. Uh I think that's the intention. That's the the proclaimed intention of these no, projects, right? That, that is true. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, they, they do actually want that. So that would be great for them. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, 
the thing is, if people um, start using it more and more, like uh, for whatever reason, like they, they just see it's more practical and it's, it's less controlled, like just a broad, uh, like a mainstream that's slowly growing over the years, then uh, it might actually change uh, politics and it might change the companies and the, the view of the companies. For example, if you look at uh, torrenting, like uh, they start to, I mean, they try to fight it as much as they can. Like Pirate Bay was down all the time. People were arrested. But it, they, still, after like 10 years, they, they didn't kill it. It's still there. And it's a great tool. It's, it's very up to date and it's working. And millions of people are using it. So, but what, all, what also has happened is that a lot of kind of streaming offers came into the market that uh, offer streaming for an affordable price. Like if you look at Spotify or like the, the Amazon yeah. streaming services. So this is kind of the answer that they said, okay, people really want something either free or very cheap. So we respond to that by giving them that. So then they have less incentive of using the illegal services because we just make the legal version much cheaper and much more accessible. So maybe something similar could happen with, with currencies as well, that you provide like kind of a, an alternative, like which is very strong, and this inspires the market to kind of react to that and give a more user-friendly service or like cheaper service or less You mean that's good, that would happen? You mean as in the, the euro becomes more... I don't know. I'm, it's just like... Uh, um, I'm just uh, making an analogy to, like, yeah. uh, you know, the information world as it has happened in the last 20 years, what the internet has changed and uh, how, yeah, disruptive technologies have changed the, the existing technologies as well. Yeah, no. Uh, yeah, I guess we will see where this goes. It's just I was at first. I think what's interesting at first I was like, there's there's always a positive side to this and a negative side. At least the positive side, if you do value financial privacy, then. And I think fungibility of Bitcoin, which is also an issue, there are obviously positive sides to this. But then you can also ask, are there negative sides and how strong will they be? Sure. I think especially if you, um, there's also been always that idea of the, the killer app, Bitcoin's killer app. You know, there's always been this talk about it, like what's it going to be? What's going to be the first app that's like really huge and that, you know, you can't do otherwise and that's going to drive adoption to a big way. It hasn't happened yet. We don't know what it will be. You know, is it going to be remittances? Is it going to be, I don't know, it's just payments as opposed, you know, instead of credit cards or is it going to be something else? And in that blog post, to, to be the idiot, he was like, well, maybe that's going to be, uh, you know, the black market. <laughs> and and maybe it is. Maybe it's not wrong. And if, it, if it, that was the case, maybe that would, by association, prevent other things from breaking through. I, I think it's possible with Mario. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. But yeah, I think that's also where maybe uh, alternative um, cryptocurrencies could come in, the altcoins, where they that could be like kind of a more regulated one or more, um, let's say, legally accepted one. And then there could be like the, kind of the dirty ones. I don't know. It's, this is one possible scenario where like the ecosystem of the whole altcoins could uh, play out in favor of different groups. Do you think you could... Do you think you could prevent something like this, though? What, what exactly? Well, I mean, like, let, let's look at this, like this dark wall thing. I mean, you could just clone that and do a Litecoin version or something, right? There's no nothing stopping you. Um, I don't know if one could build an altcoin that prevented something like this. And then I don't know if someone did do that, if it wasn't then uh, completely broken because it's not decentralized anymore or it's... Well, technically it would be possible, but yeah, the question is, it doesn't make sense. So yeah. I wouldn't say it makes sense at the moment. But yeah. 
So one thing you wanted to talk about, let's close this, this topic for the time being, and I think we can come back to it when we see more, maybe also how this dark market plays out, and uh, it will be interesting to see how uh, dark wallet works when uh, it's kind of out of alpha. So right now it's not, it's not recommended you use um, real Bitcoins, but if you want to check it out, this dark wallet dot is, although I did use real Bitcoins, just small amounts. But um, you wanted to touch on the topic, it's kind of the, Bitcoin, the limitations of Bitcoin. Um, can you maybe introduce a bit what, what you find important about this and what this is about? Yeah, sure. So um, often like um, Bitcoin is dismissed by like, I don't know, like uh, people that run bigger networks or commercial networks for transactions. Uh, that it's too limited and it cannot scale to, to really be like the, the choice for the world or for, for many, many people or millions of people. So, I mean, there are certain thing, things that I would like to kind of demystify as well, like just to mention them and kind of see what the reality says about that. So, I mean, there's the transaction volume, which is always uh, criticized. At the moment, we have about uh, seven transactions per second that the Bitcoin network can transport which is very small compared to other networks. Uh, I mean, PayPal has around 50 transactions per second, according to the Bitcoin Wiki. And uh, Visa has an average of around 2,000 transactions per second. And in peak times around the, the holidays, uh, it's about 10,000 or more. So those are very different numbers to what Bitcoin can do at the moment. Well, the reason for the seven transaction uh, per second limit is just simply not to bloat uh, the blockchain uh, while the kind of the technology is young and um, like it's still growing, and it wouldn't make sense to build huge infrastructure just to transport these transactions. I mean, the seven transactions are really sufficient at the moment. They 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 don't they are not really a bottleneck in, in most applications. Yeah, I think uh, it's, the average is less than one at the moment. Exactly. So mm -hmm. like uh, this is no limitation. I mean, let's say Bitcoin exchanges they run their own transaction system internally which then links back to the blockchain after uh, the transaction has been settled. Um, but yeah, so they work around um, yeah, around this limit already, so that's not really a problem. Um, then we also have kind of a, you know, like mm, concerns about the bandwidth that uh, a lot of transactions could need. So and there have been calculations that around 2,000 transactions per second would only amount for around 8 megabit per second, which uh, um, a lot of people have already at home, like down and upstream, and every data center has like hundreds of this uh, available in, in, yeah. in bandwidth. So that also is not really a limit, and also like in the next years, uh, this will grow. And this might be a problem. But that in, grows pretty slowly, no bandwidth. It, yeah, it does. But uh, if you and I will speak later about that, have only a few uh, super nodes that do uh, that do handle all the transactions and do that really are full nodes to the Bitcoin network. Uh, which are then located in data centers, that should be absolutely sufficient. Okay. And uh, well, this could be a problem in like, uh, let's say, emerging markets that don't have the bandwidth infrastructure, let's yeah. say Africa or places mm -hmm. in Asia. Um, but at, at current rates, this is absolutely no problem yet. And uh, as soon as it comes to that, uh, to these kind of transaction rates, there will be also financial incentive for people to build these infrastructures. And Another problem is kind of the blockchain size, which is currently around 17 gigabytes. That's, that's quite a lot, especially if you download it at first. Um, but if you 
if you think about it, that it contains all transactions that have ever been done, then it's actually not so much. I mean, in this uh, is really just uh, also the, the, the key feature that uh, the full ledger is just present on each node. And uh, yeah, it will grow further. And, but with the current block size of one megabyte, it will be around 125 gigabytes in 2016, which um, also... That's, for, that's assuming what kind of growth, though? Uh, the growth that we have at the moment, so which is limited to the uh, number of transactions that can be done. So unless these limits are lifted, like a, let's say a two block, uh, two megabyte block size or ten megabyte, it will stay with this size. But okay, but uh, I presume if we, you know, if we really do see mainstream adoption, then we would have. Because right now the usage is still tiny as a payment system. Sure. But if it did grow, you know, like the visa size. Um, but yeah, I mean, it is not very likely that we'll do that overnight. I mean, yeah. like it will just it will be a slow growth with some peaks, uh, but uh, also the the past has shown that it's a slow growth and uh, infrastructure can grow with it. I and mean, that's generally what I always say with this topic that infrastructure will grow and also the protocol will be adjusted as as soon as it hits limits. And it doesn't really hit the limits at the moment. So, yeah, other ideas are like pruning of the blockchain, that uh, the, the nodes in uh, operation are only um, looking at a certain amount of uh, the blockchain, which uh, has the, the unspent transactions, and all these spent transactions are just cut off. And at the moment, this would be like just a few hundred megabytes, which you can keep in RAM, and uh, you can do all the verifications very easily. So that's another way yeah, to kind of limit resource uh, demands. Um, yeah. So essentially, the, your conclusion is that scalability is not an issue. Uh, not at current current growth rates, no. And as I say, like uh, apart from some spikes, there, there will be like a predictable growth, more or less. I mean, it will not happen overnight, and then there will be sufficient time to adjust limits and also build hardware. What about when we see use cases? For Bitcoin that maybe current payment systems don't have, so you know there, there's talk of, you know, for example, you pay with your for your Wi-Fi uh, mm -hmm. data amount with uh, Bitcoin or. Uh, yeah, this will of course, uh, yeah, produce a huge growth, maybe more than expected, but yeah, I mean. I would be very surprised if this really would kill the network in terms of performance. I mean, at current usage, which is maybe like 10% of, of what it can do or less, uh, with the, without even raising limits and installing additional hardware and having super nodes running that uh, yeah, are optimized for um, like speedy transaction verification. Well, that's great to hear. But let let me ask so one one concern that people have with the idea where you mentioned super nodes. So the, here, I guess what you're talking about is that, I mean, I, I have a Bitcoin QT on my computer because I have Armory and you need it. So like, but, and I have the full blockchain, which is actually huge for me because I have MacBook Air, which doesn't have a lot of uh, hard disk. But then in the future, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this anymore. And so you'd have super nodes and then you also have a centralization. Now, um, is that an issue? I don't think there will be a need for super nodes so quickly. And until then, also hardware grows. I mean, like, hard disks always get cheaper. And, like, yeah, so in, in terms of storage of the blockchain, 
and the full storage will not be such a big problem in, in the near future but the pruned uh, blockchain for example uses much less and you could uh, use a system that will implement this kind of pruning um, and in terms of neutrality of the of the super nodes i mean yeah you will have to have uh, a certain trust in the node yes and this i don't know there can be a ranking of nodes and untrusted nodes can be marked and this has happened with torrents as well that if you had like uh, malicious torrent hosts and with malicious i meant kind of observed by authorities or by by certain interest groups they were just marked and then they kind of uh, were not used anymore or like okay, used less. Yeah, yeah. so the community will always think of ways to kind of crowdsource uh, this this control there will always be a kind of a community control and that's a very strong thing about the bitcoin community and bitcoin network that it's very much a community project not so much uh, a centralized uh, entity that can easily be manipulated yeah that's very interesting so um you also you also put sidechains in in the thing do you think that's going to be relevant so we, we've talked about sidechains before which is basically the idea that you have kind of altcoins but where you could move your bitcoins into that and move it back and forth sure. um do you think that could have relevance in in the scalability context? Um, not directly, but if you want to uh, use the Bitcoin blockchain for other things like storing data or like distributing data, yeah, uh, which can be a use case for a certain I don't know verification, um, then this will help. Although the yeah the side chains are quite yeah um, the side chains are quite. Um, let's say undeveloped project they are they are announced and the final announcement will be, will be only mid-may uh, of what they really want to do with it but at the moment it kind of lacks uh, certain features that, that people would want yeah well let's a very important topic maybe let's talk about let's touch on this after all uh, like transaction fees I, because I guess that's also one of the questions when you talk about scalability, you know, because one is in terms of how many transactions can you accommodate, but the other question is um, how much do you have to charge or how much do miners have to charge uh, in order to, you know, make money on their investment, etc. And is that going to, is that going to increase too? Or is that going to decrease? Um, do you have... Do you have some views on that? Well, just uh, a small reality check. I mean, like mining um, doesn't live from transaction costs. That's just no, a very small... Not now, uh, yeah, but it so will, moment, right? Yeah. But um, so at the moment, miners don't really look at the transaction fees too much. I mean, they, they, are, they have the compensation of the, the blocks they generate and the reward. Uh, but in future, yes, it will become important. And the bigger kind of your mining uh, pool is... And the more kind of uh, this is a factor for you to look into, and the more you will start playing with, and also the more transactions there will be on the network, then this will become uh, an economy in itself. I, I assume. Um, so I think it would would be very much uh, speculation now to kind of predict where this will go, and if transactions will be higher than they are now, or lower, or will fluctuate, or if people can promise a certain transaction or not. Uh, that's all really not really formed yet. These markets don't really exist at the moment. 
Okay, so you do you don't have a particular view on because I'm also asking right you guys so maybe let's let's kind of take this as a segue to talk about Bitcoin Brothers because you're working on a big mining project and I guess those questions are going to become extremely important exactly, when you yeah. think about mining you think about what's the business of mining going to look like what incentives are they going to exist for miners you know because those can make a big difference whether it makes, for example, sense to mine as part of a big pool or a small pool or uh, all those things. Sure. I mean, there will always have to be mining, that's for sure, because uh, that's what, what transports transactions and uh, that's what keeps the network alive. So that's definitely a future investment. I mean, you will always want to mine. And, of course, the, the sweet side of it is that you yeah, get rewarded for mining these blocks. And that's yeah just very well thought out that you are always have an incentive to keep the network alive because you will get uh, money from the rewards as soon as the rewards run out which will gradually take place over the next years i mean in 2016 it will be half of the bitcoins that you get now um, and then transaction fees will be more important and uh, also if you scale big and if you yeah install a mine that has uh, several peta hashes uh, this also amounts to to considerable amount of uh, bitcoins or the transaction fees. Exactly. Yeah. So um, in our business model, we um, mention this that this will become a business in the future that we will have. Uh, we, we can we can offer big merchants, if let's say Amazon or other big online uh, retailers, um, like bulk transactions. We say like, okay, we can give you uh, these transactions for a certain price, like a lower price than this, the d default price. And um, this might be uh, a possible uh, product to sell, apart from uh, the just cloud mining services that we are currently planning to offer. So um, let's come back to this point, but maybe just briefly give a bit of background on, uh, so the company is called Bitcoin Brothers, right? right. And it's a, it's a big mining project yeah that's right it was started by two brothers actually like uh, mark and mike welle and mark uh, has been famous on tv even as the bitcoin millionaire he was an early investor <laughs> was quite lucky and uh, said to himself okay i want to do something really cool now i want to um, be part of this and uh, i want to build something great so what can i do i know uh, electronics i know chips and all that and i mean i can build mining hardware i want to do this and he has also very good contacts in the industry. In Berlin, there's like a chip developer that um, on his behalf developed this chip, which uh, has a lot of advantages uh, compared to other chips on the market. And uh, really, yeah, kind of uh, what came out of this was really like a very, very competitive product, which is the core of the business that uh, Bitcoin Brothers is about to start. So, yeah, this very efficient and fast chip, which is a 20 nanometer chip, uh, which is kind of yeah, one of the few in the markets. Uh, I mean, there are none that so are actually... So, is KNC minor also? Yeah, they, they uh, announced a tape out. So, they announced the production of these chips. Um, and they will be, or they would be, the, the first in the market with this. So, it's a very, very uh, up-to-date uh, technology, which, uh, yeah, the advantages are in um, a very... Like energy efficient uh, computation, so electricity costs are low, um, cooling needs are not so high, and so on. So yeah, the smaller the the yeah nanometer size, the better, uh, the more efficient the chips are, and the, the cheaper they are also to run. So, but what is different with Bitcoin miners, uh, Bitcoin brothers, is that uh, we 
we build hardware that's really scalable. So uh, it's built for uh, data centers. So we fill like whole racks. Like let's say uh, one of our um, clusters will have around 100 racks and um, have computation power of around 3.38 uh, petahash. Uh, so that's huge. And that's like uh, a few percent of the block uh, of the current network right there. Just one, one, one rack. And then one, how not, many? Not one rack, but one cluster. One cluster uh, racks. Yeah. That's that's built from 100 racks, and um, so how many? Sorry, 100 cabinets. I mean, uh, which have okay. several racks. Yeah. And so, how many are you planning to um, build? Well, the minimum viable product would be uh, one one cluster, which uh, has 3.38 petahash. Uh, but if we find an investor that sees the the great advantage of our technology and that uh, invests more, like in the initial step, we can build also more. The thing is, we are not limited to hardware limits as uh, usually mining operations are. So they have to wait for KNC to come out with their new chip or for other companies, and then there's a shortage. Uh, the market is very, um, like, yeah, very crowded, and like miners that uh, want uh, people that want to buy new hardware miners. So delivery of hardware is always a problem. So, but by pre producing our own exclusive hardware, we don't plan to sell the hardware. At, just at this point, so we will just use them for our own um, operation. Uh, we have huge advantage towards the market, so we can just yeah tape out new chips, build new uh, racks, build new miners as we go along, and we will always be obviously the first one that get the deliveries, and we can plan with this uh, very well, and we can predict very well when we will have which petahash uh, in operation. So you'll be much more uh, cheaper and more efficient than, for example, KNC miner? Or In uh, data center use, yes, because our hardware is absolutely optimized for data center. And uh, we have uh, Thomas in our team, which is uh, a data center hardware expert, and he built a data center in the US as well. And uh, I believe you talked to him already. Yeah, I, I know. And um, so from that side, we're covered. And... That was always uh, in our mind, like scalability, like uh, how far can we scale how fast? So that's really uh, a big focus. And um, yes, uh, in terms of uh, operational costs, um, there are a few numbers which are still moving at the moment a little bit, but I can say we can undercut uh, any commercial mining competition uh, by yeah, like at least half in our operational costs. Uh, part of that is also that we um, we plan to build our mine in uh, Iceland, which has very uh, kind of an abundance of uh, cheap electricity and which is also green at the same time. It's like geothermal power, so there's uh, it's basically CO two uh, neutral, and uh, that's a, that's another big thing which is personally interesting for me because I come from an environmental activist background and uh, the CO two uh, output connected to Bitcoin was always kind of a, a bit of a, let's say, black spot for me in the whole cryptocurrency world. And actually to be able to provide a service that is green and also very fast at the same time and very energy efficient and uh, reliable, uh, yeah, made a really uh, a kind of uh, great project for me that combines many of my interests to, to get, uh, get into. So what's, what's the time schedule? When are you planning to go live with um, the first cluster? Yeah, we have a production time of around, uh, let's see, well, we plan currently to be live in, in October this year, uh, which is still a few months uh, down the road. But 
yeah, what has to happen before are several steps. I mean, you have to do the tape out of the chip, and um, yeah, I mean, chip production uh, has become much faster, but still, uh, Bitcoin technology, Bitcoin chip production is on the edge of what's actually possible because time is such a big factor. Like every day, every week, or even every month means millions in this business. Like that, you could lose if you are slower. So this has really revolutionized chip development and chip production. So uh, with this uh, very fast schedule, we'll be live in October. Um, so we have seed investment from um, Mark, uh, from the, the actual the founders. And uh, currently we're looking for like an investment for the uh, actual big production of the mine. So we have the proof of concept, okay, it's working. But to do the next step, we need powerful partners that are also well-connected in the industry. Yeah, yeah, and so that's occupying our time at the moment that we have talks to investors and venture capital firms and so on. It's a very ambitious project, of course. I mean, as a company that's not yet on the market, uh, to acquire a few million euros uh, to actually make that happen. But um, yeah, we have good talks and uh, get good feedback so far. So yeah, it's looking good at the moment. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, so I, you know, I've, I know all the guys, pretty much all the guys involved. And there was in the beginning when I heard about it, it was a bit like, oh, this sounds very ambitious. <laughs> but, you know, the, the more I've gotten to know them and the more I've read the business plan too. So I'm, I'm, I'm quite optimistic about it. And it's certainly in terms of the scale and ambition, it's an enormous project. True. Uh, so it would be very interesting what comes out of that. And I kind of want to use that to circle back to the point you made about the uh, this uh, the idea of you know for example amazon let's assume it's two years down the line and and they are using bitcoin accepting bitcoin payments and they get i don't know a few i don't know a thousand five hundred payments per second or i don't know what what it will be but it's a big amount sure um can you explain why would um, why would they want to do some kind of deal where they say uh, we give our tra transactions all to you, but we get a cheaper price? Or how would that work? Yeah, that's that's kind of the um, um, the idea at the moment. I mean, time will be a big factor for them, and also cost. I mean, they want to have their transactions, uh, yeah, accepted or at least uh, pre-accepted very quickly. What's pre-accepted mean? Well, that's kind of a, uh, <laughs> it's a pretty, uh, let's say, new concept. I mean, the idea is that uh, the Bitcoin network will, I mean, the protocol will, will have certain limitations and these limitations are there to kind of make transactions secure. And we can't just say, okay, instead of 10 minutes uh, a block, we cannot say one minute just to speed up transactions. That's not going to happen because then this one minute is uh, in terms of work, uh, proof of work, is, is worth a tenth of, of 10 minutes. So no, that's not going to happen. So we can uh, possibly sell a certain promise to these companies to say, okay, we will include your transaction in our block um, as soon as we see it straight away at this and this price. So this is kind of a, a bundle we could sell. Wait, wait, wait. So uh, let's pause here. So you would say to Amazon, you include, but then what if you don't mind the next block? Then that promise is worthless, no? Um, well, depending on the um, participation of the ha uh, global hash rate, the hash rate that we have on the network, we can give a promise of a certain percent. So, uh, and in big scale, this will be valuable to the company. So let's say you had 30% of all the hashing power. Right. And then Amazon would say, uh, you know, we got this payment now, 
and they send it to you and then you can say, okay, we can uh, 30%, uh, we're going to mine them the next block and then it's going to be in the block. Yeah, absolutely. So that would be one way. So and in big scale, this will make sense. But at the same time, this market doesn't exist yet. And, uh, but we want to be on the forefront of exploring these kind of things. That's, that's the idea. That we, will, we want to go beyond just uh, yeah, plain mining and um, yeah, think about these things already now and also maybe be part of writing white papers and so on about this. It seems like that uh, one issue that would bring up is the issue of neutrality, you know, because then a payment from Amazon would not be the same anymore to Amazon as a payment from me to you or something else, right? Because I, I'm not a big, you know, I wouldn't be a big party. Um, do you think that could be a problem? Or? Well, neutrality is already given up as soon as you trust your money with Amazon. You say, okay, I'm sending it there, so you already choose. So in that sense, and that's just the regular transaction in a sense, right? I send it to another address, but then because my address, my payment will go to the Amazon address, will be treated differently. Right? It will be treated differently within our cluster, yeah, yeah. and without within our mining pool. Um, yeah, I mean, we we can possibly give our users the the option to opt out if they don't like this uh, breach of neutrality. Um, by just letting them choose their own mining pool or not participating in this maybe extra income that they could generate from this. So, but I think this is still a bit further down the road, and yeah, we yeah. also have to see have to see what kind of projects um, develop before us before or before actually a market of this emerges. And um, I think it's just very exciting to um, really have the ability to offer these services because we sit on so much hashing power, we can think about this. I mean, as an individual miner cannot do this. Um, big pools can certainly do this, uh, but they are not doing it at, at the moment. Yeah, because I guess there's no need for it right yeah, now. Yeah, no that? market. Yeah, I think that would be very interesting to see where that goes. I guess another thing that kind of relates to this that you know people often think about this how big of a role will off-chain uh, transactions play. Right. So, you know, for example, if I um, sell something on Coinbase, etc., you know, they're not going to do a, a transaction on the blockchain. It's all going to be, or on exchange, if you trade on exchange, then mm -hmm. they won't make blockchain transactions, but they'll have their internal accounting, etc. Mm -hmm. And only once you do a withdrawal, etc., it's on blockchain. And uh, I guess that, that is also a question, right? If you're going to have big... If I can interrupt, but the consequence yeah. of this we see with Mt. Gox, I mean, if too much it's, of that happens, of course. that also poses a risk. So It's dangerous, yes. Right, to, uh, to increase the limits uh, within the blockchain protocol or the, the Bitcoin protocol... Preferable. Right. Yeah, it can probably or hopefully prevent that. So like, if yeah. this could handle all the off-chain off transactions also, that would really make the network also safer. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so, uh, are you guys looking for? Uh, are you looking for investors? Are you looking for something else to kind of make uh, the, this this project a reality? I guess you will be selling mining contracts at some point too. Then, yeah, that's the, that's the idea. Uh, we do not want to pre-sell like uh, many other companies did, and they kind of. Uh, had let's say bad experiences with this. Yes. <laughs> and, um, some big companies in the mining space are f facing legal battles at the moment because yeah. they pre-sold and delivered late. So we don't want to do the same mistake. So we are actually looking for uh, let's say conventional investors. Not I mean we will not take from our clients upfront, 
we are looking for uh, investment partners that help us building this company kind of let's say to a point where we can say okay with certainty we will deliver or we have already connected so and so many terahash gigahash whatever you want yeah no i think of uh, the history of uh, pre-orders pre-sales exactly. uh, yeah, that's, that's a good idea yeah, sure. <laughs> i guess it's interesting too and you can look at it from both ways but obviously there's been a lot of fraud or certainly at least promises made that weren't kept but what's also interesting there was recently a coindesk report again it's like the state of bitcoin where they look at uh, what's been going on etc and there's been basically no vc investments in the mining space but at the same time or almost none uh, at the same time the overall money invested in that space has been huge or huge, at least uh, in comparison to other areas in Bitcoin. And I guess that was possible because of pre-orders. So yeah. it, is, it is interesting how that was kind of possible, even though for the people involved, it probably wasn't a pleasant experience. Yeah, it's, it's tempting. It's, it's a form of crowdsourcing, of course. Uh, but yeah, we personally just decided against it. Um, the possibility would be there, maybe also through like an, like an IPO of some sort. And we are certainly exploring these things and uh, like learning about them and, and talking to people. Um, but yeah, we we can't say. I mean, we are ruling out anything yet. But uh, yeah. currently, we are contacting uh, venture capital companies. No, I I, I think that makes sense. I'm sure. <laughs> I would not recommend that. Also, I'm, I'm quite skeptical of these IPOs. That these like unregulated, mm. uh, chaotic. IPOs where people make promises that nobody checks at all. So, yeah, one could argue that uh, these IPOs endable kind of uh, business models where business model where also the the ownership is distributed. You know, I mean, and not just centralized. Let's say, I mean, if we have one big capital partner, then it would be sort of centralized. I mean, like uh, the yeah, business yeah. would be owned by us and this venture capital partner, which is a, a small group of people. Um, but these IPOs that that companies even start operating after an IPO, um, in a way, it uh, hands out the shares to many people. I mean, there are like big mining projects that work exactly like this. Um, I'm not too sure how ex how successful they are, but in terms of decentralization, I kind of like the idea. I'm not sure if no. it's a viable way to go at this point, but uh, I, yeah. I think no, it's positive. I, I totally agree. I think the idea in principle is brilliant. And mm -hmm. I think it's, it's super powerful to take something that's very bureaucratic and difficult to do now, you know, selling shares of a company, very regulated, you're not allowed to offer shares to just anyone, but, it, you know, there are all kinds of rules surrounding it. And to take that and say, uh, you know, we're going to make this very easy and just you can kind of uh, buy it uh, in a decentralized way even. Yeah, uh, I think that's very powerful. I yeah. think the problem is just that people make these offers and there is nobody. The whole reputation verification stuff is not is not there. Mm -hmm. So I think that makes it very ripe for fraud. Yeah, I mean it's a two sided blade for sure. Yeah. Well, cool. Thanks so much for uh, joining us today. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. Yeah. Um, so 
just briefly again, if you wanna if you wanna subscribe to our newsletter, you can do that at uh, epicenterbitcoin.com/newsletter. You can also follow us on Twitter, and uh, we're epicenterbtc, and um, you can like us on Facebook too. And thanks so much, and I look forward to being back next week. <laughs>